Welcome to CHS, Clinical Hormone Studies, Episode 7, where we attempt to break down some of the world's most bizarre cases of hormones gone absolutely wrong. I'm your host, Saraja Aganti, and today we will be talking about a hormone called triiodothyronine, or commonly called T3. This hormone is crucial for metabolism, which is what we saw a bit of a few episodes ago when we were talking about human placental lactogen. As usual, we will be going over its function, where it is found in the body, and what happens when things go wrong. Stay tuned for more. In this episode, we will be going over triiodothyronine, or what is known as T3. This hormone is very closely related to a lot of hormones, so it is important that we take a very close look at what is going on. First, we always go back to our HPA axis and understand the mechanism used for secreting this hormone. First, the hypothalamus makes thyrotropin-releasing hormone, or what is commonly called TRH, and the release of TRH signals the anterior pituitary to make and secrete the thyroid-stimulating hormone, TSH. So there's TRH, which is thyrotropin-releasing hormone, and TSH, which is thyroid-stimulating hormone. Okay, so this causes the thyroid to produce thyroid hormone, TH, and this stimulates the processing of thyroglobulins stored in the thyroid into T4, and which is released then by the thyroid into the blood. So T4 is known as thyroxine. Now, T4 and T3, both of these are quite similar to each other, so let's make sure that we uh, are able to distinguish the two. So T4 is actually the more stable of T3 and T4. Now, I like to think of these two hormones as isotopes. Isotopes that are more stable on the periodic table are the ones that are found more in nature. And here, since T4 is more stable than T3, there is significantly more T4 in your body. But just like isotopes, the ones that are found less in nature are also generally more reactive. And T3 is indeed more reactive than T4. T3 is referred to as the active form, and this affects your end organs. And so T4 is also carried into the end organs, where it is processed into T3 to act on them. Okay, now relating back to the HPA axis negative and positive feedback mechanism, low levels of T3 and T4 in the blood signal the hypothalamus to produce more TRH. Once the T3 and T4 levels in the blood are sufficiently high, the negatively feedback on the hypothalamus to tell it to stop making TRH. This is basically how the mechanism works and how your body works to regulate this hormone. Okay, now for the function of T3. T3 is crucial for healthy metabolism, making sure that the process isn't too fast or too slow. To quickly review what metabolism is, remember that it is defined as the set of chemical reactions in an organism that help them sustain life. Recall that it is divided into three main parts, conversion of food into energy, conversion of food and, in, and this energy into monomers for proteins, lipids, nucleic acids, and carbohydrates, and finally, elimination of metabolic waste. For a more in-depth summary of what metabolism is, refer to episode 5, the episode on HPL. In the fetus, additionally, another function of T3 is that it is important for the prenatal growth and brain development of this fetus. Okay, now let's see what happens when the levels of T3 start to fluctuate. First off, it is important to talk about the secret sauce behind all of the problems stemming from T3, iodine. Iodine is an element, specifically a halogen, element number 53. Iodine is found in the T3 molecule, and if an individual doesn't have enough iodine in their diet or has consumed more iodine than the body can handle, this is where our T3 levels can start to fluctuate and cause several diseases. This is why in many areas of the world where there is insufficient iodine, 
you, iodine, sorry, you get the first disorder we are going to talk about today, cretinism. The thyroid gland is underactive, stemming from the lack of iodine, and therefore the lack of T3 to support it. Additionally, due to the lack of T3, the brain is also underdeveloped, and so people with cretinism generally have learning disabilities. Finally, because again, because of the lack of iodine in their system, they have stunted growth. Because of the stunted growth, they have a very distinct appearance, somewhat dwarf-like. Refer back to episode one for a more in-depth analysis of dwarfism and gigantism. Next, let's talk about Graves' disease. Graves' disease is where autoantibodies to TSH receptors bind the receptor and and constitutively activate it. So they act as the TSH molecule. So they're continuously stimulating the thyroid and the production of TH and T4. So the result of this is what we call a state of hyperactive metabolism. So the body's basically doing too much and making too much. Some of the common symptoms of Graves' disease is swelling around the eyes, increased appetite with weight loss, elevated T4 levels, high body temperature, increased sweating, palpations, which is where your heart starts to pound faster, and tachycardia, which is increased heart rate. Generally, Graves' disease is specifically very severe and can cause a lot of problems, including um, exophthalmus, which is just bulging of the eyes, due to the increased periorbital sweating, and increased retroorbital fat accumulation. And why does this happen, you may ask? Well, it's due to the upregulation of glycosaminoglycans. So essentially, it can cause, it can also cause uh, pretibial mexedemia, which is just a painful, thick, and orange rash. Okay, that was a lot to handle, but basically, this disease is an example of hyper- hyperthyroidism, which is where there is too much T3. But that could also raise the question, what happens when there's too little? Well, that's what an example we're going to go over right now. An example of hypothyroidism where there is not enough T3 is Hashimoto's syndrome, where you have autoimmune destruction of the thyroglobulin or other pieces of the process that make up T4 in the thyroid. So this can be caused by an iodine deficiency or a defect in the iodine uptaking or processing. It leads to a state of underactive metabolism. Some of the problems or complications caused by this hypothyroidism include low basal metabolic rate, enlarged heart, reduced cardiac output, lower body temperature, cool skin and increased sensitivity to cold, reduced sweating, muscle weakness, and myxedema, which is just the thickening of the skin and accumulation of fluid. Okay, so we just went over hyperthyroidism, an example of a disease with hyperthyroidism and Graves' disease, and hypothyroidism, and an example of hypothyroidism and Hashimoto's syndrome. Now to diagnostically test for the amount of, now it's important that we go over how to diagnostically test for the amount of T3 in the blood. And that's because uh, we measure along with T3, we measure TRH, TSH, and T4. And based on what we see, we can identify what the problem is. So basically what we're going to do is we're going to measure TRH, TSH, and T4. And obviously, depending on these levels of the hormones, we're going to be able to judge uh, how much T3 is in the blood. And based on what we see, we're going to be able to identify what the problem is. So for instance, in a blood test for hyperthyroidism, so picture Graves' disease here, we should expect low levels of TRH and TSH with super high levels of T4. This allows us to conclude that the levels of T3 must be too high in the blood, signaling hyperthyroidism. Now, on the other hand, for hypothyroidism, so now picture Hashimoto's syndrome, as you might expect, it's pretty much the opposite. We will see very high levels of TRH and TSH, 
but very low levels of T4, implying yet again that there is a lack of T3 in the body. Okay, now for treatments. For hyperthyroidism, radioactive ablation or resection, which is just surgery, or antithyroid medications like propothyresol or methamazole can help treat disease such as, diseases such as Graves' disease. These medications essentially interfere with the production of T4 and diminish the process and prevent too much T4 from being made. Now, on the other hand, the treatment for hypothyroidism is iodine, obviously because the person with the hypothyroidism is lacking it. And um, if the iodine specifically isn't causing the problem for the hypothyroidism, then uh, levothyroxine is another good solution. Levothyroxine is just a synthetically man-made T4. So this helps bring the levels of T3 back up and get the system working again. Okay, now the moment that we always wait for, the case study on levels of T3 and the diseases it may cause. So here is our case study. Susan is a 46-year-old elementary school teacher. She reports that she had been feeling more fatigued over the last couple of months compared to previously. She attributed it to beginning a new school year. Susan complains of feeling overall muscle aches and stiffness, especially at her neck during that time, and, and it has not progressed or lessened any one bit. Additionally, she tried ibuprofen or heat and heat, and both of these did not work. When examining the patient, the patient had a tender, palpable mass on the interior aspect of her neck. Personal and family history of thyroidism was present, and she additionally had cervical and thoracic ROM limited in several directions. ROM is just range of motion, so she couldn't move that well. Like her limbs were probably stuck in a certain in a certain like position. So from this, the doctors gave her an initial medical diagnosis of hypothyroidism three years prior. Her comorbidities are hypertension, type 2 diabetes, and type 2 diabetes mellitus. When asked about her previous medical issues, uh, she had ACL reconstruction when she was 20. Additionally, asked about her family medical issues, her grandma had hypothyroidism, and her dad had an MI, which is a heart attack, at approximately 55 years old. Her medications and supplements include lucinopril, which is anti-hypertensive, multivitamins, and synthroid, which is just the levothyroxine we discussed earlier. Remember, the man-made T4. She had poor physical performance outcomes, and additionally, an important and I thought quite interesting little tidbit of information, she took an average of 11.2 seconds conducted over five trials to go from a sitting position, position to an upright position. So just think about how much of an effect that these uh, levels of T3 fluctuating have on her life. She's sitting in a chair, let's say, right? She's doing some work. And when she wants to get up, it's going to take her about 10 seconds, 10 seconds to get up. That's a lot of time. And that must be a real pain to deal with too. Okay. So after the doctors took these, uh, uh, took in these physical examinations, uh, the anti-thyroid antibody test run on Susan showed that she was positive for the antibodies. And so whenever the anti-thyroid antibody test yields positive, that indicates that she was experiencing the Hashimoto's thyroiditis. So her doctor changed her synthroid dose and referred her back to physical therapy for treatment of carpal tunnel for her neck. So after having her medication dosage changed, 
coupled with the physical therapy she received for her carpal tunnel sy symptoms, Susan was actually able to increase her range of motion, which is good, and she was successfully cured. And that's pretty much the end of the case study. So let's recap that real quick. So essentially what happened was, uh, remember, her family has hypothyroidism, so it could be a problem due to the... Um, so we know that it was a family problem. So essentially, she didn't have a lack of iodine in her diet, remember. And remember, the treatment for the lack of iodine was iodine. You have to put iodine into the person's body. But here, since it wasn't iodine, remember, the other solution was that we make man-made T4. And in this case, she did receive the level thyroxine. So that's a good connection to make. Additionally, remember that she had been trying all these different stuff. She tried. She thought that it was um, attributed to the beginning of a new school year. She had tried ibuprofen and heat. But it's clear that whenever you have such a huge physical deformity and that's causing you uh, an average of 10 seconds to go from sitting to standing, that's a huge problem. And it's a good thing that Susan here had checked with her doctor just to make sure. Additionally, we saw the anti-thyroid um, anti antibody test. So this basically shows whether if it's positive, if you're positive for the antibodies in this test, you have a lack of T4 in your blood. And that shows that she was experiencing Hashimoto's thyroiditis or Hashimoto's syndrome. In conclusion, today we took a look at triiodothyronine, or what is commonly called as T3. We saw its function in the body, what happens when it goes wrong in two different ways, namely hyperthyroidism and hypothyroidism, how these diseases are diagnosed and treated, and we also looked at a case study regarding Hashimoto syndrome. Currently, I am working on a special episode on PET scanners with a guest. Remember how PET scans were used in episode one to scan for the growth hormone. Our guest is a University of Pennsylvania professor who specializes in the field of PET. She is a renowned expert and will talk about the intricacies of PET scans, and we will be sure to be making lots of connections to the hormones that we have studied so far. Thanks for listening and be sure to tune in for that episode and I'll see you all next time on CHS.